longer than would be absolutely necessary because of the heat and so forth. Thank God for the heat. Shouldn't complain, sure we shouldn't. I want you to come with me this evening to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. And also John, chapter 14. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. John's Gospel, chapter 14. So Mark 4, uh, reading from verse 35. And on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. And said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Then John 14, just one verse, verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. As you read through the Gospels, you cannot fail to see the loveliness of Christ, his kindness, his tenderness, his compassion, his mercy, his power, his love. But I think that there is one quality that the Savior had that shone through again and again, particularly in the midst of the most difficult and trying of circumstances. And that was his peace his peace, his quiet confidence, his serenity, his imperturbability. That's a big word, isn't it? His utter calmness in the face of all kinds of circumstances. Nothing seemed to face him. Whether it was years of obscurity or days of popularity, whether it was times of acceptance or times of rejection, whether it was times when he was confronted by devils and deserted by friends and lied about and slandered and disbelieved even by his own brothers and sisters. And yet in all these things, he was in complete control. He was absolutely calm, always in charge, always on top of things. How? How did he do that? How could he be like that? What was this kind of peace that he had? That he said, I leave with you. The same peace that he had, he said, I leave that with you. So it wasn't just because he was the son of God. Because he says, I leave this peace that I have, I leave it with you. 
So what was his peace founded upon? Remember that he came in human flesh. He lived in this earth as a man. No ordinary man, of course, but yet as a man in his humanity. And yet in spite of all of that, he had this great quality of peace. The first thing I believe that his peace was founded upon was he knew his father's will. He knew his father's will. The next chapter tells us that he was going to the other side for a specific purpose. He was on a mission. He was going to fulfill his father's will. It's amazing the storms in life that you can come through if you know you're in God's will. If you know you're in the will of the Father, it doesn't matter what storm rages, in the middle of it, you can have peace because you know you're in the Father's will. And he absolutely knew what he was doing, where he was going, what he was about to do was the Father's will for him at that particular time. And so that gave him a great calmness and a great peace. Now, I don't think that this particular storm was simply a meteorological problem. Now, we know that Sea of Galilee, that storms and squalls blew up frequently, suddenly, alarmingly. Nothing unusual in that. But I think this particular one, I think that the enemy had got behind this. I mean, what better opportunity would the devil have than Christ and his disciples all in this boat together? Here is a, a team that's going through Israel and they're turning their world upside down and they're invading the devil's territory and they're, and they're absolutely changing lives all over the place. What better opportunity to absolutely destroy them in one fell swoop when they're in this boat together? I think it was demonic. You see, he was about to enter a stronghold of Satan. He was about to deliver this man from dark forces that had absolutely controlled his life for years. And so he was on his way to do that. And whenever you and I, whenever we come against Satan's strongholds, you can be sure there's going to be some stormy times. He's going to whip up some stuff when you come against his kingdom and his strongholds. People that's been bound by him. And Jesus comes along. But thank God, even though all hell rages against us, we can still pass over to the other side because we're in the Father's will. In verse 38, Mark's comments here are so enlightening, and I've mentioned it before, I'll mention it again. Jesus was asleep on a pillow. And the pillow, if you could imagine a kind of a beanbag, probably some Hessian type fill the straw. And this would be the, the place where the helmsman would rest. And I can't say for 100% sure, but I can imagine Jesus being on that. I can imagine his hand or his arm being on the tiller as they were going through the storm. And if Christ is in your boat and his hand is on your tiller, 
you are going to make it to the other side. No matter what the storm is, no matter what the devil attempts to do against us, if Christ is on board and he's in control, then we're going to make it to the other side. Notice here that Jesus didn't panic. Notice that he was perfectly at peace. Someone has said you can't speak to the storm, can't speak peace to the storm until you have peace in the storm. We need to have peace in the storm. And Jesus was totally and completely at peace. Notice it says in verse 38, he was asleep on the pillow. And then in verse 39, it says, he stood up and he spoke peace to the storm. He was able to speak peace to the storm because he had peace in the storm. And whenever we get to the place where we have peace in the midst of the storm, then we can speak to our storm. Because that's what Jesus did here. Now, the apostle Paul in Acts 27 was also in the midst of a great storm. Eurocleidon, this great tempest, he was a prisoner on board a ship going to Rome with 275 other prisoners. And through part of their journey, you know the story how that great wind blew up and it seemed like all of them were going to lose their lives. But if you read Acts 27, you'll see that Paul didn't speak peace to the storm. That was not how God was going to deliver him. But he did speak peace in spite of the storm. And the reason why he was able to speak peace in spite of the storm, because he had peace in the storm. And he was at peace. And he was in control. So what am I saying? I'm saying that sometimes you have to speak peace to the storm. Sometimes you have to speak peace in spite of the storm. But you can only do it if you have peace in the storm. Can you say amen? So follow and listen carefully. Because all of us face storms of life. And God wants us in those storms to be able to speak peace. Because we have peace. Because we know we're in the Father's will. We know that it's not that we have done something wrong or something stupid or something sinful. We know, first of all, it can be life. Secondly, it can be the devil conspiring circumstances against us to distract us or put her off her course. But in the midst of it, the Lord wants us to have peace. He says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Secondly, he knew he had power and authority over the storm. In other words, he wasn't at the mercy of the storm. He wasn't going to let, him, let it blow him off course. He knew what he was going to do. He knew the mission he had before him. And no matter what the devil was going to do or life was going to throw at him, nothing would stop him from doing it. He set his face as a flint towards Jerusalem, the Bible says. And he wasn't at the mercy of the devil. And he wasn't at the mercy of circumstances. And Paul wasn't at the mercy of the storm either. And while he didn't take authority over it, 
He certainly did take authority in it, if you read Acts 27. So you and I tonight, no matter what we're going through, let it be known tonight that you are not at the mercy of the devil. You're not at the mercy of circumstances, and you're not at the mercy of people. If God is in your life and God is in control, you're at His mercy and no one else's. Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know what storm you're involved in, if you are in a storm tonight. I don't know what your personal circumstances are. I don't know what you're facing tomorrow as you wake up. I don't know what's in the post, going to hit your post box tomorrow, what phone call you're going to get. Who knows? God knows. But no matter what comes, we've got to believe that God is in control of our lives. And that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to His purpose. That we are in the perfect will of God. And when you're in the perfect will of God, let storms come and let storms go. But we're going to go straight on with God. And we're going to complete the mission and finish our course. Notice in verse 39 that Jesus did two things. First of all, He took a stand. It says, and He arose. There's times we have to stand up on the inside, don't we? Have to stand up on the inside, spiritually speaking, taking a stand. You remember the story of the mother said to her little boy, says, Billy, sit down. And he just ignored her. She says, Billy, I'm telling you, sit down. And he ignored her again. She shouted, Billy, sit down. And he sat down. And he mumbled under his breath, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you have to say that to the devil devil I'm standing up on the inside doesn't matter what you're saying I'm standing up on the inside because God is on the inside of me I've got the Holy Spirit in me so Jesus took a stand he arose secondly he issued a command now, I want you to notice this especially he issued a command. He stood up. Notice the first thing he did. He rebuked the wind. And then he said to the sea, peace, be still. See, he understood cause and effect. He could have rebuked the sea all day long and nothing much would have happened. Because that was just the effect. But he rebuked the cause, the wind. And he rebuked the cause. Then all he had to say was the sea, just hush, be quiet. Because it was the wind that was stirring up the sea. It was the cause. And sometimes, as believers, we keep rebuking not the cause. We just rebuke the effects. And we forget there's something beyond the effects it's the cause. Our doctors here will tell you there's symptoms. 
But they need to get beyond the symptoms and get to the cause of it. And when they get to the cause of it, then they can treat it and the symptoms will take care of themselves. And spiritually speaking, oftentimes that's all we're doing, just rebuking the effects. And we're not getting to the heart of the problem where we should rebuke the cause. And so Jesus stood up. He took a stand and he issued a command. And as soon as he rebuked the wind, and then he spoke to the sea, and then suddenly everything was calm and everything was at peace. Now notice this thirdly. He knew where to put his faith. This is probably the most important thing I'm going to say tonight. He knew where to put his faith. Verse 40, but he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now we need to kind of look at this from another gospel. In Luke's gospel, chapter 8, verse 25, the same story. He said, where is your faith? In Mark, he says, how come you have no faith? Luke, he says, where is your faith? So he was saying, how come you have no faith for this? Because God has dealt to every one of us the measure of faith. So in effect, he said, how come you have no faith for this? Where is your faith for this? That's what he's saying. Now, it was evident where the disciples' faith was. The disciples' faith was in the problem, wasn't it? They had full belief, every belief, that they were going to die. Master, we're perishing. Do you not care? We're sinking. The waves has come into the boat. We're going to drown. They had faith for that. They believed that in totally and entirely. That's where their faith was focused on. It was focused on the storm. It was focused on the problem. Do you realize that our faith in the problem will just be as effective against us as our faith in the answer will be for us? I'll say that again. Our faith in the problem will just be as effective against us as our faith in the answer will be for us. So that's why Jesus said, where is your faith? Where is it focused? It was obviously focused on the storm and on the problem. And that was their problem. That's all they could see. And maybe if you and I had been on that boat that night too, that's all we could have seen. And maybe Jesus would have rebuked us also and said, where is your faith? Where is it focused? Now, of course, we're more spiritual than they are. We never focus on our problems. Sure we don't. Huh? Sure we don't. We would never, ever focus on our problem. We are so super spiritual. I mean, we just constantly focus on the answer, don't we? <laughs> I don't think so. I think we're just like these disciples. I think more often than not, actually, we focus on the problem and on the storm rather than on the answer. Paul, whenever he was in the midst of his storm, he focused on the answer. That's why he was able to say, Wherefore, sirs, I believe God, <laughs> that it shall be even as it was told me. You know, he was the only one 
out of 276 souls on board, he was the only one that focused on the answer. Everybody else focused on the problem. And you may be the only one tonight that will focus on the answer that you need. And everybody else will be looking at the problem and shaking their head. But you say, wherefore, sirs, I believe God. I am focusing my faith on the answer. In fact, if you were to compare Mark 4, this story we've just read, to Acts 27, you'd see a number of similarities because in Acts 27, you'll see how Paul, first of all, was very confident about the situation. Acts 27, uh, reading from verse 20. Well, reading from verse 21. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood up in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me, have not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. But now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will just be as it was told me. Now, there's confidence for you, isn't it? There's a man who's trusting in God. There's a man who's believing he's got the answer. And so he's confident, just the way Jesus was confident that he would get to the other side to where he was going. Paul was confident now that they were going to get safe to land. Maybe tricky, maybe difficult, the ship may be broken up, but they were going to get safe to land. Secondly, Paul was comfortable in the situation. In verse 33 of Acts 27, and as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. Hmm. You see how because he was comfortable in the situation, because he was confident about the situation, you see how comfortable and the confidence he spread around to others. You know, in the midst of all of our storms of life, people will be watching. Family members, loved ones, friends, neighbors. And if we can be confident that God's with us, and if we can be confident that we will come through our storm, and we can get comfortable in the midst of it, it's amazing how that rubs off onto others, how that becomes a blessing to others around us. And then, not only that, Jesus, of course, was very comfortable. He was so comfortable. He was sleeping, wasn't he? He was totally at rest. But then on top of that, of course, we see here Paul was in control of the situation. In verse 37, 
And in all we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they had lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach unto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. And meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for the shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. Now here is Paul here, in spite of all that's going on, in spite of the ship now breaking up, he's in total control of the situation. He's not phased by it at all. Why? Because God has already told him, you're going to make it. You're going to come through it. And that's always a test, isn't it? When God tells us we're going to make it, we're going to come through it. And instead of things getting better, they seem to get worse. And from when God spoke to Paul and says, you're going to make it, you're going to get through it, things seem to get progressively worse than the natural. The storm got worse. Now they're stuck and the ship's breaking up. How worse can this possibly get? But Paul, in the midst of it, he's in control as Jesus was in control. And all the rest of them on board Paul's ship was frightened as they would be. And all the disciples and Jesus on board was frightened as they would be. But Jesus was in total control. Sleep on the pillow. Hand on the teller. Everything was fine. Doing what God wanted them to do. And then we see here another similarity we see that Paul was commended for conquering the situation. I should, in fact, read from verse 42 of the previous chapter just to make sense of it. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who uh, could uh, swim and jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest... Summon boards, summon parts of the ship, and so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Now look what happens here. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he should swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked a long time and saw no harm came to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island. His name was Publius. He received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. And Paul went into him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Notice this. They also honored us in many ways when we departed, and they provided such things as were necessary. They honored us in many ways. He was commended for conquering the situation. 
Jesus was commended. Who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Isn't it a great testimony that when you come through your storm, that somebody's encouraged by it? Somebody looks at you and to you and maybe up to you and maybe comes to you and say, how did you get through that? How were you able to do that? And you're able to give a testimony and a witness that it was the grace of God and it was the goodness of God and it was the power of God and it was the mercy of God. And you get commended for conquering the situation. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I think that the disciples finally got a hold of this peace that Jesus spoke of. How can I say that? Well, Peter was on board that boat. But in Acts chapter 12, remember verses 5 to 7, how that Peter was in prison do you remember how that Herod, he killed the brother of James with the sword, proceeded also to take Peter, put him in a prison, four quaternions of soldiers to guard him night and day, 24-7. So while he was in prison, he would be shackled to two guards, two would be at the door, there'd be another four waiting to shift him and that would go all night, all day. And when you read the story, what's Peter doing in the midst of all that? knowing that one has already been executed, knowing he's next for his neck on the block, what's he doing? He's asleep. He's totally at peace. He's completely calm. He's not phased. He's not worried. He's nothing. He's just lying there. In fact, he's so laid back. He's so horizontal. When the angel came, the angel slapped him. <laughs> Honestly, read that. The angel slapped him on the side to wake him up. and The chains fell off. And he walked out as if he was in a dream. In fact, he thought he was in a dream for a bit. So I think that Peter finally got it. That in the midst of his storm, his terrible circumstances, he was able to be at peace and at calm. Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail and Acts 16 was the same. After they were beaten, after they were chained and manacled, after they're put in the inner prison, what happened to them? At midnight, they began to pray and they began to praise, they began to sing. I would say they were at peace, would you? I would say they weren't fretting or phased or worried. I would say they were completely calm. In fact, they were so calm, they were just praising God and singing. The Bible says the prisoners heard them. In the quiet of the night, the prisoners heard them. They must have thought, those are two absolute nutters. What kind of agents are they? At midnight, in jail, and they're singing. <laughs> but they weren't nutters. They were totally at peace in God. And God just could not resist. Sure he couldn't. And he sent a great earthquake. And the prison doors flung open. And all the prisoners were there. And the prison warden got saved. What a joy that was to lead him and his family to Christ. 
because they were in control and they were at peace in the situation. Acts chapter 7, you see Stephen before the Sanhedrin, first martyr of the church. In fact, we should look at that just for a moment in Acts chapter 7. And after he had preached a very powerful, powerful sermon to them. In verse 54 it says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And when they cried out with it, then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witness laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. There's somebody who knew about the peace of God. Somebody at that moment, the most frightening moment of anybody's life, and they're going to be put to death. And yet there was such calmness. He was able to pray even for those who were putting him to death. Hmm. Haven't time to read it, but if you read Acts 24 and 25 and you see Paul standing before Agrippa and Felix and Festus and all of those dignitaries, and, and there he stood, little Saul. Paul calm, collected, in control, unfazed. <laughs> and the Lord was just giving him word after word after word, filling his mouth. <laughs> and there he was. Didn't matter who he stood, kings or peasants, all the same to him. Full of the peace of God. Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley were burned at the stake for their faith. 1555 in Oxford. Ridley, being younger than Latimer, was feeling the heat in more ways than one. It's difficult. But Latimer said to Ridley, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. By the grace of God, we shall this day light such a candle in England that shall never be put out. There's a man that's so full of the peace of God that as he's been burned at the stake, he comforts young Ridley. and says, play the man. Don't break down now. We're lighting a candle for God. It'll never be put out. Do you know what? It never has been put out. It never has been put out. The peace that Christ gives to us.
you, to me. It's precious. It's powerful. And boy, don't we need it. In our situations, don't we need the peace of God? I know that initially you may be struck with fear and anxiety and worry. And then you think, wait a minute. I'm a believer. The Lord's on my side. I'm going to come through this. We're going to make it to the other side. And then the peace rises up in our hearts. And we do make it to the glory of God. We've made it so far, haven't we? There's no sin in the country. We've never died a winter yet. We've made it so far. And by the grace of God, we're going to keep on keeping on, aren't we? And we're going to make it right through. And we'll have a testimony at the end of it to the glory of God. Amen? Stand with us. Lord, it's to you we give the glory for all that you have done for us. For every good thing that we heard about this morning that you have put within us, we return the glory and we return the thanks. Hallelujah. Lord, I do pray for that wonderful peace that you give, that it will be our abiding portion. In the midst of the storms of life, there will be a calmness, an assurance, a confidence that God is with us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? <laughs> In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Thanks be unto God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Who always causes us to triumph. Always glory to God. We bless you this night. And we give you thanks. And Lord, over this holiday period, as friends go off and, uh, for rest and refreshing, we pray a blessing upon them that you'll protect them and guard them and bless them. And Lord, that they will come back again, refreshed body, mind, and spirit. Lord, there's a work to be done. There's a kingdom work to be done. And we pray, Lord, it will be fit for it and ready for it and able for it. And Lord, it will be accomplished in the name of Jesus. So we give you thanks this night for all of your goodness towards each of us, the testimony that you have given to all of us of your mercy and faithfulness. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.